News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. This is FAQ NYC. This is Katie Honan coming to you from Queens, and I'm here with Dr. Christina Greer and Harry Siegel, both in Brooklyn. Hello, everyone. Hi there. Hello. Katie, I'm just back from, from California and a car crash and all sorts of other stuff. What's been happening in New York? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Harry, I was very disturbed to read your column to see that you had another near-death experience in California. Perhaps um, the, the the opening of your book, Why I'm Never Leaving New York. Um what is happening in New York? Uh, we'll have Greg Smith on a little bit talking about Mayor Adams's uh, plan to help, or I guess in this case, just remove homeless people off the subways. We have the GOP convention, which is at the Garden City Hotel all week. Petitioning starts today for those who petition, the endless petitioning for elected officials. Um, more articles about, you know, people within the Adams administration and perhaps some questionable decisions they've made uh, in the past. Um, Did you write one of those kids? Yeah, sorry, was that? Yeah, I wrote today. Well, I guess last night I have a story out today about uh, Chief of Staff Frank Carone, uh, some LLCs that he s- began and then uh, used those LLCs to provide advanced funding to medical groups. This was a story first published by Laura Namius and Bloomberg and Michael Gartland and Chris Hummerfeld that the Daily News have written follow ups. But, um, you know, I found seven employees of these medical groups that had been receiving the advanced funding from. Uh, Frank Rohn and, and, and other people, including Howard and Jordan Fensterman and other investors, um, two passive weeks after the first investors. passive, aggressive, uh-huh. uh, sort of like passive aggressive. But uh, two weeks after the first LLC was formed, the donations to Eric Adams started kind of flowing. The max at the time, 5,100, 5,100, 5,100, 5,100, 5,100. Purely coincidental. That is what City Hall said. Um, so we will we will see. You know, I think there's a lot more here and in looking into the multiple complicated LLCs and the entanglements. And um, we actually have a story cross-published on the city today from New York Focus that takes a look at some of the, you know, even though we're trying to get more sunlight into these LLCs, there are still limited liability companies just donating without without much uh, scrutiny to elected officials. And it's hard to figure out who's behind them. Um, Katie, quick question. Is this yeah. sort of similar to what we saw during first term de Blasio or is this a different beast? It, it feels um, worse in terms of corruption and, and scale, in terms of the 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 people involved and, and how you know. I think there's a lot more to it that we can dig into as well. So, um, yeah, it's not it's not the sort of agents of the city stuff or some of the the other investing things that we saw under De Blasio, but um, it, it raises a lot of questions about the entanglements and the people involved and the people that, you know, Mayor Adams is, has a lot of friends and he has a lot of people who he is tied to. And um, there seems to be some issues with quite a number of them we've revealed in the, and I guess now almost, we've had two months of his administration. Now we're on March 2nd. So um, I just can't tell if, because Eric Adams clearly associates with, I would care, call them shady characters. And I can't tell if de Blasio's shady characters were just so well known, we see them as less, damaging as Eric Adams' new shady characters who we don't know as well. Or yeah, yeah. If, if it is, as you said, like this seems deeper and, and more problematic, but is it because we don't know these characters as well and we're just kind of immune to some of the characters that we saw surrounding de Blasio? I can't figure that out. I can't either. Um, what I find so interesting in writing about, I, I found this when I was writing about Carlos Cesura, is it really is like a who's who 
of Brooklyn Big Shots and all these stories. I found in the LLCs, one of the L- one of the people involved in an LLC is Monsignor Jamie Gigantiello, a vicar in the Brooklyn Diocese who's involved in fundraising and a very close friend of Van Carone. Uh, he was an investor in one of these LLCs. I will note in my Catholic education, sisters take a vow of poverty, but priests do not, which is, I guess, what is mm. afforded the sisters who taught me the wonderful Sisters of St. Joseph, how they lived in, you know, 10 people to an apartment, uh, barely had any money for stuff. But the priests seem to have, you know, homes in the Hamptons and fancy cars and homes in Florida and money to invest in LLCs. But um, mm. on the first day of Lent, that is not a question we can, you know, we can talk about, but. So this has taken us to the, uh, the time warp and this interview (laughs) with Greg Smith. Um, so a couple of quick dots here going off of, uh, your reporting and these networks around Adams. He, he has said, um, talking about his friendship with, uh, Johnny Bistronets, whose name I may be butchering. And I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. I don't pronounce it either. Right, who 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 are are felons, um, convicted felons from stuff involving insurance fraud and uh, old friends of Frank Caron. Um, you know, Adams Adams has said um, he has friends with people who have criminal convictions, and that that that's fine, and you can't take that away because he he, he has dirt under his fingernails. He's a blue collar guy, and people deserve second chances. It then comes up that we have a. Uh, we have this New York City cop who uh, was doing security for Roger Stone and is now uh, is now facing a departmental trial related to that. And you have his lawyer now pointing to Eric Adams and saying, Eric Adams has fr- dinner with his friends who are crooks or have criminal convictions. It doesn't make him a bad mayor. And uh, the same applies to to my client. implicitly Adams, I think broader defense is, uh, look, all these people I'm bringing in, whatever your issues with them are, and this can be convictions, this can be really, uh, homophobic things that they, they, they've said in the past goes in a few different directions. I'm going to have control over them. I have a vision for this administration. I know people who know how to get stuff done in Brooklyn and in New York city. And if I do that, the rest of this isn't going to matter. The question is, is he going to get this stuff done? And that may be the uh, segue to uh, bring in uh, Katie Honan's colleague of the city, uh, the one and only Greg B. Smith. So joining us now, once again, is Greg Smith of the city. Uh, Greg, nice to see you. Welcome back. Happy to be here. Virtually, virtually. I'm virtually happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun it's more fun to uh see people in person i uh, agree very eh. much so so speaking of people in person uh let's talk about uh about eric adams new plan that's now being implemented uh that he says is going to uh make sure that there are not homeless people on the trains right away it's going to be dismantling every encampment in the city. Uh, you've been reporting on this for the city, uh, the news site. Uh, how's this going so far? That's a, that's a very good question, Harry. Um, it's difficult to know because our new mayor has decided he's not going to tell us uh, until later on down the line when they put out some kind of report 
the ETA of which I have not been told and they would not tell me. Um, I mean, there's a pattern with this, you know, I mean, this is, we all know this is not a new issue. This has been an issue for years. Um, it got worse definitely during the pandemic um, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, th this is all stems from, the, in a lot of ways, this all has to do with the conditions of the city's shelter system. That's what this is really about. It's not about, you know, people who are struggling with mental health issues, like losing it on the subway. Uh, it's really about uh, people with mental health issues who are afraid to go into the shelters because they are scary, dangerous places that the city, for whatever reason, has not been able to get control of. So, Greg, can you just walk us through a few things? Because I think a lot of people read your great reporting, and it seems as though for this to work, Eric Adams would need to work closely with the NYPD, Departments of Homeless Services, Department of Mental Health Services, uh, housing departments, you name it. And it doesn't seem as though that web of individuals have all been at the table simultaneously. Can you walk us through what the safe option support outreach team of cops and social workers are and who they are? Or do we still yeah. not even know? Yeah, this is the SOS team you're talking mm -hmm. about, I call it. Yes. Um, you know, what is it supposed to be? We don't know because it hasn't happened yet. They, they, they already had a small number of what they call co-responders in place to respond to 911 what they what the the police call people in mental health crisis EDPs, uh, which is emotionally disturbed person. So <clears throat> they had in place these co-responders, very small number, and only three precincts. They're not going into the subways. It's just okay. nine one one calls. So what they what they are trying to do is they're trying to ramp up the same idea, which is a cop and a social worker, or two cops and two social workers who go into the subways on a regular basis and particular end, particularly end of line, because end of line is where you're gonna, mm. everybody, they pull in, there's like 20 guys asleep on the train. So implicitly, this is a potential, we'll call them clients. Um, and they'll do what they call outreach, which is they approach people. And what seems to be different is that, uh, and this has not changed yet because I, observed this last week and I could do it again tonight. It would be the same thing. They're really not kicking them off the train right now. They're because they don't have these teams in place yet. So what, what they will do eventually though, is they're going to kick them off the train. And the issue is that what do you do with them? So now mm -hmm. you have people who are for whatever reason, spending the night on the subway because you almost always, because they don't want to go into the shelter system. And now you're going to tell them, well, you got to go into the shelter system, but it's not going to really work like that. So the, in other words, the rhetoric of this plan does not seem to uh, have been based on this planet. It seems to be just wishful thinking. Um, the um, NYCLU attorney I spoke with, it called, she calls it magical thinking. Mm. Because the issue is, is the issue isn't is is that if you get people off the subway, which is what I guess you know, look, it's not right for people to be living on the subway under any circumstance. It's just not it's not where they should be. But they need to be in a place where they can function and they can, you know, hopefully get some support services and be able to kind of you know get back into a place where they're not putting themselves in harm's way. 
So, but anyway, we're in chapter one here. We're not, we're not anywhere near the point where we're going to see this in action because they haven't even finished creating these teams. They're just starting to create these teams. And who was guiding the mayor in this endeavor? I mean, it's who's he listening to? Who's at the table? So, okay. So there's, there's two different things going on here. I think you pointed this out a minute ago. One of the the uh, voices in his ear is the criminal justice system, which would be the NYPD, but which is, as far as I can tell, not the NYPD. It's Phil Banks, who is mm-hmm. his criminal justice coordinator uh, or deputy mayor for criminal justice mm-hmm. something, um, who is a former uh, top uh, level uh, NYPD chief. Who- oh, I thought you were going to just say he was his former unindicted co-conspirator yes i was going to say criminal that. activity <laughs> I yeah he's mean. he's got it i mean it's just the, the baggage that guy's got he needs to have red cap with them at all times so he's he's he, this guy is is directing the approach to this on in on that's one side the other side is dhs so dhs has to have a role in this because they have experience with it mm-hmm. so for example dhs has a huge contract this is with, Department of Homeless Services. That's correct. The Department of Homeless Services has a huge contract with the Bowery uh, Residence Committee, which is BRC, which does outreach on the subways and has been doing that for years. And so they have experience with what to do when you're approaching someone who has uh, uh, mental health issues. You, you just don't walk up to them and say, okay, you're going to a shelter. You have mm-hmm. to, there's a whole uh, kind of a, a dance that goes on and it has to be, there has to be follow-up and it takes a lot of um, commitment to track specific people and get them, try to convince them to do something that, that would get them out of the subway. Um, and so that, so you have the, the Phil Banks slash NYPD, the DHS people, cause they have experience with this. And then you have the department of, uh, health and mental hygiene, which is going to be providing another aspect of this, which we have not talked about, which is one of the things you can do with someone is you can have them involuntarily committed to a hospital for observation, they call it. Mm-hmm. And I am predicting that that is the thing we're going to see. We're going to see a lot of that because, I mean, it's a way to get somebody, first of all, it's a way to get somebody off the subway. Um Plus, when um, Adams and Governor Hochul um, announced this plan, they uh, brought out um, Mitch Katz, the health and hospitals commissioner, and the uh, Dr. Sullivan, who is the state uh, office of mental health commissioner, to explain that the law as it stands is they can interpret it in such a way that if a person, if you you come upon a person in the subway with you know piles of plastic bags with their clothing and and it appears as if they're living on the subway, that that implicitly means that they are a danger to themselves. And if they are a danger to themselves, that is the standard you use to have someone involuntarily committed. And I my prediction is you're going to see a lot of involuntary commitments coming soon. One question, Greg, and you touched upon it, is this idea that it's not like one interaction with a person who's oh, apparently no. homeless on the subway will no. then set their life 
on, you know, a path to a home or to treatment or anything like that. I know when there have been initiatives under de Blasio to interact with street homeless, it can take dozens of interactions, if not more. So um, I don't know if you have any insight into once we hopefully eventually get this data from City Hall, will it be broken down? And, you know, because you could you could have teams interacting with someone that counts as one person, but it could be the same person double counted, triple counted, quadruple counted. So do you have any insight into what we will be getting when we do eventually um, get this information on who people are meeting with, where they're meeting with, and what kind of services they're getting? Right. So the track, let me, the, the answer to that question is that there is a track record that you can already see the trend. And so the data that I cited in the story was the data that I got from DHS. And that is that um, during the pandemic um, and right through this January, um, they kept track of the number of outreach contacts. They call them contacts. Mm -hmm. And a contact is basically an outreach worker walks up to someone who's apparently homeless and has a conversation with them. That's a contact. There was, there were 9,200 of those of that number. There was approximately 3000 of which, which is about one third uh, 3000 of them where the person said, okay, um, I'm willing to be transported to a shelter. Uh, so that's one third. So now you have two thirds who just said, no, uh, go away. Uh, or, and, and they couldn't stay on the train for part of that time, because I, I think we all remember that they would, they shut down the train at night. Yeah. So people would just walk off into the darkness. Most people did that. You know, and that we're talking end of the line. So, you know, you, you, you're up, you're still well Avenue in Coney Island. You're just, yeah. that's, that's, you know, and so, um, uh, so there's 30, 3,100 people said, okay, well, I'll take, I'll take a, a ride to the shelter. So they put them on a bus, they bring them to the shelter. And of that number, most of them walked away. So you had a total of something like, uh, 200 people, 250 people who actually accepted shelter and went in and stayed in. And so, so my point is that it varies. And this goes to what you're saying about the the back and forth with people, how there has to be Mm -hmm. kind of follow up again and again, very, very few people will accept these services. And it's all, and again, they, this, because the, the supply of beds is mostly shelters, congregate shelters that have Many, many issues. One of the issues is dangerousness. Not the, the other issue is we still have COVID as an issue, really. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't gone away. Uh, so you have the vast majority of people will not go to those places. They would like to go to some of these other places that are called safe havens, mm-hmm. where if they're much smaller. Like you don't, you can, you don't get put in a room with 30 guys you get put in a room with one other guy. And yeah. then there are fewer rules. Like th- there's a lot of rules at a lot of the shelters that some of the individuals do not, they can't deal with them. Uh, so they're hoping for uh, a safe haven placement or supportive housing. That's the best scenario, which is you get put into an actual apartment, usually with another roommate, but sometimes even by yourself. And then you're also given these services, like you have a, a regular meetings with a therapist and you have someone who's um, monitoring your, your medications. I mean, these are things that are really super practical, but they're, they're kind of, it's a heavy lift. 
And the, and the bottom line is there's not nearly enough of either safe havens or supportive housing right now uh, as it stands. One uh, follow-up that seems natural given what you were talking about with the condition of these shelters, uh, the budget, the first city council budget hearing today, I guess it was, uh, they said it's this DHS budget is 2.1 billion and 86% of that is a supporting shelter operations. And we know because we're reporters and we cover this and we read about this. So many of the shelter operators are in a word corrupt. Uh, People don't operate these shelters in, in a way that's truly beneficial to the people living in them. So if you want to talk a little bit about this longstanding decades long problem with just how, you know, we have a legal right to shelter people living in New York city. And unfortunately a lot of the shelter options that they have, um, are horrible. So if you want to talk a little bit about these shelter operators and how they've continued to just take so much money from the city and not provide the proper services to people who live in them. There's, yeah, there's two parts to this. So um, one of them is the operators. And yeah, you're right. I mean, this is, this is huge amounts of money, millions and millions of dollars just flow into these uh, providers. Um, And, you know, there's recently, I guess, one of the, one of these, uh, providers, the head of it was charged with a crime. This has happened a number of times over the last few years. Usually it's just a lot of times what happens is that the providers are nonprofit groups, but they often will, you know, put their relatives on the payroll or they'll form their own for-profit security company or catering service, whatever, Mm -hmm. and then siphon the money off that way into their pockets so that's a that's a systemic issue, and the biggest problem is that DHS, the the Times did a piece uh, profile on Steve Banks, who is mm-hmm. the former uh, DSS commissioner, DSS over Department of Social Sur- Services oversees several agencies, including the Department of Homeless Services, and he concedes that it's really difficult to just shut down one of these places because you still need to put people into yeah. shelters. So they try, what they try to do is if there's an issue that everybody knows that there's like some corrupt thing going on, they try to have a monitor, like look at the thing and keep track of what's happening. And again, that's, that's a com- very imperfect uh, situation. But the other aspect of this, which is the one that the thing that drives me the craziest is the state of New York. Um, when you, when you're released from prison, from a state prison, mm-hmm. Uh, and you now you're on parole, okay? So th- you don't have an address, right? Like your relatives don't want to see you anymore, or you don't have a place to go. Where do they bring you? They put you on a bus and they drop you off at a New York City shelter. Wow. So you have a lot of ex cons, I will call them, because that's what that's where they just came from. Now being put into the shelters along with some of these people who have mental health crisis, some of um, most of whom get a regular social, social security check. And they, they, it becomes the, the, the hunter and the prey. And it's, it's a disastrous situation where you have um, people being preyed upon. And that is, that to me is the genesis of why we have so many people on the subway because because of things like that, they just say, I'm not going into this, I'm not going in the shelter anymore. 
and they ride the subway all night. Most of those people, by the way, who ride the subway all night have no interaction with anybody else. They, they don't disturb anybody. There's yeah. only a very, very small number of people who have serious mental illness that, that sometimes results in confrontation and, unfortunately, violence on occasion. We've seen it. I mean, that, that situation at Times Square where that man who is clearly mentally ill and was not receiving any kind of services, none. And he pushed that woman into the, onto the, onto yeah. the track, onto the, onto the train. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a huge failure that has not abated at all. So speaking of not disturbing anybody, in your reporting, you ended up at the South Ferry Station on the one, which is the end of the line. And you say there are four cops there, including a sergeant, <laughs> looking at their phones. Yeah. And one of them just keeps saying, we are here to help the homeless at the mayor's directive. Yes. And then second voice of the Greek chorus is, this shit ain't going to change nothing. <laughs> and then and then third saying, um, the rule was suspended because of COVID. You could stay on the train. Taking a couple steps back, and I think going back to where you started, right? some of the, the long-term solutions here involving supportive housing and, and more hospital beds, uh, we, we've lost a lot of them, I think are pretty clear and also pretty expensive. And so there's always a time warp quality to these things we're, we're you know doing the song again adams you know made this big promise that he was going to be dealing with this as of the monday before last i think and seems to be off to to this very slow start where where you know the rhetoric is there but but the actions aren't immediately following they're being slow reporting as such or at least that's my interpretation and I, i'm curious from your reporting if you have a sense of why that is and what else he could be doing separate from, you know, the, the budget and the bigger picture that could be having an immediate impact now. Well, the first thing they need to do is communicate better with the police on the ground. I mean, like, I, I don't think they're making it really, it's, they're not really helping their own police officers by not telling them what's going on. And, and, you know, look, what I was, I was in the, um, South Ferry, end of the line. And then I went over to the World Trade Center, E line, end of the line. And it just like one train came in after and another. And I, you know, this is mostly happening at night. And then in the really early, like all through the night and into the, into the pre-dawn hours. And the trains would just roll in with multiple, um, I'm, you know, men and women who were asleep with all of their belongings all around them. Some of them had just completely passed out. Um, and, and the, the cops didn't do anything. They just, just let, you know, let the train go back out again. And a part of it is that I think they've been given mixed messages about how they're, what they're supposed to do with what, with somebody like this. And, and those teams are not in place. Like there's no social worker with them. It's just them. Right. I, I you know, the way Adams was talking, it was like they're going to hit the ground running, baby. We got the social workers, we got the psychiatric psychiatric units ready to you know handle us. That wasn't true, and they are they're right now. They they still do not have these teams on the ground. There's 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 a there's a lot of um, they, they're actually recruiting people to do this, and it's not even easy to get people to do this because there's a huge shortage of 
psychiatric nurses, for example, in, in the in the state of New York. So they're not they announced I think they announced it without having the, the thing in place. And that's why it, it, we're not really seeing the thing itself that they, they said would happen is not happening yet. So in your estimation, Greg, what would need to happen comprehensively for this to be more than just a boondoggle, which is what it seems like it is right now? People need to be patient because of the thing that Katie referenced, which is that when you're trying to get people out of the subways and not just take them out, send them over to Bellevue, 72 hours later, they're kicked back out and they're back on the subway. Right, this cycle, this crazy cycle that goes on again and again, you need to like really have the resources in place, which they do not have, to get somebody out and keep them out. And you know, they they have succeeded in doing this with it with a good number of people, but not enough people. And if you don't have um, if you don't have the housing that the the adequate housing to put somebody in, what's the point of pulling them out of the subway? Because they're going to just end up back there again. Do you think it's more of a optics thing? I know you mentioned correctly that it's a very small percentage of people sleeping in the subway that are are violent um, and and will hurt other people. But uh, I know Eric Adams is Mayor Eric Adams. He's concerned about you know the return to normalcy and having people come back. I mean, how much of the optics of the city uh, plays a role in this decision to just get people who you don't want to see in the subway off the subway? Yeah, so, see, one of the issues I had with that announcement was that they were conflating people who are deliberately and lucidly breaking the rules mm-hmm. and smoking and harassing people and trying to, you know, basically shake people down for money. That is a separate issue than people who have mental illness. And they were putting them in together in this, in the way that we're going to get people out, we're going to enforce the rules, you're not going to sleep in the subway. You're, you're not going to be able to stay on the train when it comes into the station and so on. So, uh, you know, and by the way, who's going who, who's to come out and say, well, why should we enforce the rules? You know, no, we shouldn't enforce the rules. Some people might. <laughs> I'm sure they would. But, but anyway, it's, it's an, so in other words, it's an easy thing to say, but it is not an easy thing to do. And that's kind of what that announcement was all about. On the other hand, I would say it is a good idea to enforce the rules, right? I think we all agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's that you have to, but you have to have um, like a system in place to do it in a way where you're not just kind of gratuitously uh, taking people who have um, longstanding um, mental illness and just throwing them into a hospital where they're going to end up back in the subway. It doesn't, it doesn't fix the problem. It, it makes people um, who are upset about what's happening in the subway uh, happy uh, briefly. And then the, eventually people will see what this is unless they can uh, really kind of come up with a way to get people out of the subways and into meaningful lives. I guess that's really what the goal is. So, so Greg, I think this might be the uh, big closing question. You know, I'm reading, I'm reading your piece at the city. Uh, can I'm you reading- make another Rocky Horror Picture um, <laughs> reference? Please. Do the time walk <laughs> again. 
I'm reading Ruvain's piece at the city, uh, headline, new psych units at Rikers delayed, renewed focus on mental health and justice. Right. Right. I'm I'm reading your piece and, and, and look, the rhetoric seems right and substantial from the Adams administration in a lot of ways. Part of why you need these teams is it's not just for the public, for police and social workers and others. It's all not clear which bucket different people fit into uh, immediately clear, right? Who's right. just seeking shelter, who, who, who's bothering other, other strap hangers, who, who's, who's really an EDP, all these questions, yep. um, as opposed to just, you know, a disturbing person who should be removed from the, from, from the system, someone who's trying to shake people down or whatever. So, so, so given all that, like, what, what, what is your perception? Is this, is this a learning curve thing? Uh, is this a mayor who just fundamentally is going to make the announcements but not follow through? Like, like Adams, you know, I think is very smart and I think he wants to succeed. So I, I personally am at a loss. I understanding the New Yorkers are not fan for their patients and there are all these concerns about the trains. But if you do the announcement, you have a guy like Banks, so you were determined to get in and you say knows how to do this and has the answers. And then you're not implementing the thing you just promised. Like, what's the uh, what's the breakdown here, Harry? This this goes on every day. <laughs> this goes on every day. These these guys make these promises with the, I guess, hope that well, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. Maybe people will forget that I made the announcement. It's it's weird. It's just a, I like I understand that there is a need to kind of publicly address these very troubling circumstances when you have an incident where um a person who is you know uh she worked at deloitte i think she's she's a you know participant in society she's a taxpayer she you know probably you know has has she has got a great job she's going about her business and then she's confronted by the system that's what that that's what that Mm. that's what happened there you know that guy he who knows what it was what he saw or what he heard he certainly d- doesn't know and hey i'm sure he couldn't even tell you uh, but he but he's got voices telling him to do something and because the system was unable to deal with his situation this happened and so of course what are the politicians going to do what is eric adams supposed to do he has to say something so he said something and now we're going to see what that something really is because the reality of it is it's really difficult to confront this extremely complex situation unless you have the resources in place to do it and they don't is there any chance that the uh, rising left in new york state is going to help provide the resources to uh to, to make these parts fit i mean in the short run when can you define that like who is the rising left is is that the uh the majority leader of the state senate is that the uh speaker of the assembly because those are people who have they they have their hands on the lever levers of power um you know some state senator uh from the bronx is not going to have that Mm -hmm. kind of power i mean it has to be somebody who's really able to pull levers. I don't know. I mean, they've talked about it. They certainly, they are committing to, to, you mentioned psychiatric beds. They're committing and Hochul is committing to putting more, opening up more um, psychiatric beds, which were repurposed during COVID. So now they're going to 
I guess they're I guess they're hoping that <laughs> COVID goes away and then they can reopen these beds. But they need to forget just reopening those beds. They need to have more beds, and then they need to also kind of have a different approach to um, involuntary commitment. Um, because I mean, you really what you really want to do is if you get somebody out of who has serious mental illness, serious mental illness, and they're not able to really kind of take care of themselves, and thus they are living on the subway, you want to have them in a position where they could be potentially helped. Isn't that what you really want? I mean, you don't want to just kick them off the subway. You want to help them so that you don't have this happen again and again, which is the definition of insanity. <laughs> there you go. Greg, th thank you again for uh, for joining us. Um, I have a hunch that we're going to be able to have you back on to talk about some of these issues before they all get worked out <laughs> and resolved. Only, only if I get more Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> references. I'll be Absolutely. in costume next time. Oh, my. Oh, my. Thank you, Greg. Thank you so much, Greg. You got it. FAQ. FAQ NYC is brought to you by the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Artists, and Critics. We are housed at the NYU McSilver Institute for Poverty, Politics, and Research. And we come to you this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. We'd like to thank our special guest, Greg Smith, from the city who joined us this week. And as always, Alex Brooklyn is our executive producer. And Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be well, and we'll see you next week.